1: Making Making reveal. video. Six, six. Six. Five. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Rank and Review. I, as always, am your host and random Canadian. Larry Parsons, and we're going to talk about sequels with current ranking Review champion Mr. Lee Beckman, and this episode is sort of the start of a trilogy. Um, throughout this season, they'll be spread out throughout the season, Lee and I are going to do three episodes, and in each of those episodes, one of the new Halloween Trilogy will be covered, so by the end of those three episodes, you'll be able to have our opinion on the new Halloween Trilogy as sort of a sequel of sorts to our Halloween retrospective you'll now have a, our thoughts on all of them and i think in doing that with those three episodes we'll have completed a more solid trilogy than the makers of the new Halloween trilogy did themselves come fight me but today we're just going to talk about Halloween 2018 and five other sequels that you may or may not have heard of and Again, uh, the selection of the movies here have quite the range in both topic, style, quality. So it should be an interesting rank. Beckman knows what he's talking about. And uh, if you've been listening to the show, I think you got a feel of what you're in for. But my guess is you may have opinions as well. And if you do, you should send them to me at at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-B-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know how you would do your ranks. Let me know what ranks you'd like to hear. And, uh, you know, try, try and keep it somewhat friendly. We're allowed to disagree, but there's no reason to be a dick about it. And uh, you should go into the podcast as usual, understanding that there will be spoilers and there will be some coarse fucking language. Oh, pardon me. So uh, let's, all, let's all be adults about this. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Check out the website at rankandreview.ca I drop every other Wednesday, and if that's too big a gap for you, fill your ears with the shelf shedding movie show hosted by my friend Mr. Jason Debray. Alright, enough of this. Let's talk sequels. Welcome to another fun filled edition of Rankin Review. Woo! Thank you, everybody, for their ears. Mr. Lee Beckman. Lee Beckman. That's right. I Rank a and Review Champion. That's right. Is in the house. We're doing this face-to-face, and we're talking about sequels. Yep. I mean, there was a time where I had this sort of built-in resentment for sequels. Like, uh, I remember specifically with Tremors. <clears throat> I love Tremors so much that I kind of didn't want sequels. Yep. I've made my peace with it. My boys are a big fan of the Tremors, so yep. I've, like, I've come around on them. but. Yep. A lot of times I feel like if you've made a really solid horror movie, the cooler thing, the more epic thing is to just walk away from it and let it stand on its own. But Hollywood has a hard time doing that because it's all about the money. That's just not the world that we live in. Yeah. You have to expect that there's going to be a remake, a sequel, a prequel, a, uh, what do they call it now, legacy sequels? Reboot, yeah. Yeah, reboots. Like like con. There's going to be some variation. If it made even a little bit of money once upon a time, just make your peace with the fact that they are going to fuck with your favorite piece of media. Unless your favorite piece of media bombed and never found a cult following, it will be fucked with. I, I remember there was this interview with John Carpenter. It was that
0: obviously some sort of retrospective of, of one of his showings, and he was talking about... You know, what is Hollywood looking for today? And he said, familiar IPs. And this was about, I'd say, like late 2000s. Maybe even to the, you know, 2000s and 10s. He looks old, eh? (laughs) Yeah. Almost like a skeleton. Um, And I love you, John. Not that he, you know, I'm sure listens. But hey! He uh, but he says, yeah, no, if you've got a familiar IP, which a lot of my film augury does, eventually it'll, you know, get to be, you know, coming around to remake you." And he just and I just gleefully hold up my hand and they give I will me take money. your money. Yeah, it's called show
1: business. <laughs> it's not show friends. It's, it's show, show business. business. Yeah. And I, I get that. I understand that. But like, it's strange to me. Like, we're going to talk about Halloween 2018. Yep. It wouldn't seem that difficult in theory to make a mass slasher movie. Yeah. No. But if you make a mass slasher movie and it's called Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween, yeah, you're gonna make a shit ton of money. Definitely. If you a just make and, another yeah. mass slasher movie, you're rolling the dice. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: it's interesting what Hollywood monsters stay and which Hollywood monsters never quite hit. I kind of liked. Do you remember this like sort of? Uh, uh, I almost straight to DVD, uh, slasher series called The Collector. They made one and two, and they were like literally days into shooting number three when the funding came out. Mm. Do you remember that? The,
1: I, I, I've seen them. Um, is Steve Gutenberg in one of them or something? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I've heard them talked about, yeah. and I've heard that they have good sequences in them, but uh, I've never gotten around to seeing It's
0: it. a lot like, it's, it's ripping off Saw. Saw.
1: Yeah, it's a wannabe Saw, and I yeah. am not a fan of Saw. But I liked the
0: idea of the serial killer, and it was basically, the, the first two movies is sort of this, you know, basically this psychological war. The survivor of the first one, is hunting the killer in the second one um and this killer of course has a whole warehouse of booby traps that he traps people blah 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 i was always disappointed that that monster movie villain movie villain never got the you know bigger do if you will
1: yeah i mean there are some that you know try to make their play to be a genre movie like things like shocker or something like this that just didn't like they wanted that franchise, you could feel that that's yep. what the Doctor Giggles exactly. And uh, sometimes it just doesn't play out for them. But if you do, it's not just a home run for that movie. You've got a bankable franchise, and usually you've got a guaranteed moneymaker for five or six movies. Yep. right. Hey, man, how many Puppet Masters are there now? Like thirteen or fourteen? Crazy. But so if. We can't do anything about sequels. Sequels are going to happen anyway. They're inevitable. Yep. So is this the smart move if you really care about a particular franchise to quit while you're ahead mm-hmm. or just make your peace with, like, there'll be peaks, there'll be valleys, but it'll always be there.
0: I think at some point you have to accept with certain franchises, and you should be happy that they're making yet another one in your favorite franchise. Obviously, you're running the dice. You know, they might make Resurrection <laughs> Yeah. But... Um, you know you should be happy that even if it's a street to dvd like you know leprechaun in the hood um
1: or leprechaun
0: four in space
1: but when i was growing up discovering movies there were a few things that sort of felt like immortal guarantees in movies like you felt like james bond was immortal maybe like the character of sherlock holmes was immortal we'll always have those types of movies but it never occurred to me that jason Voorhees would be immortal yep but he will outlive us, brother. Yeah. Believe. Yeah. Believe. Yeah. Um, I think he'll actually outlast Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Um, but Freddy Krueger's another fine example of, like, yeah. uh, there will be some permutation of it. When you and I did our Halloween retrospective, at yeah. the end of it, we weren't kidding ourselves or anyone else. We yeah. knew there was going to be more Halloween to be found. It was yeah. inevitable. Yep. Yeah. But I guess, like, um, what's your relationship? Do you get to the point where you just try to get excited about sequels, or do you just look at them as inevitable things? It depends on the franchise. I get
0: all excited when there's a new Predator movie, and I should be excited when there's a new Alien movie. And I'm just not excited when there's a new Terminator movie. So, <laughs> yeah. it
1: does depend on the franchise. Um Once upon a time, a new Star Wars movie would be super exciting to me. Yeah. But I think that time has passed. I think Disney's realized they've oversaturated
0: the market. They're pulling back even on their Marvel TV series. Right. um, And some of their release dates. Um, But they still make stupid amounts of money. Why make a movie when you can make a cinematic universe? Yeah, But, um, yeah, no, you can't oversaturate the market. That's why I think there's going to be a nice pause with the Halloween franchise. And for finally getting a new... Friday the 13th, well, TV series and a movie, apparently. But, you know, we're apparently years off away even from that. But the rights, the the battle
1: is over. Yeah. Well, on some level, you and I will always be game for another Friday the 13th movie. But, again, my my mission statement for this episode is, like, well, what I'm going to talk about with some of these uh, movies and how I'm going to justify my ranks of some of these movies is, like if you had to make a sequel which apparently you did Mm -hmm. does this honor the original does it justify its own existence like and is it completely dependent on that does it stand on its own two feet right Alrighty, i can i I can see where you're going
0: i can see where you're going um i don't know sequels are a tricky beast sometimes um they can even outdo the original um i would have to you know well, the thing... You know, John Carpenter's thing is not really a sequel. It's a remake. remake but right. um, there are
1: sequels that are, I do say, better than the first. Oh, absolutely. I think so. You can argue Empire, you know, that it starts back, is better than Star Wars. My buddy Scott and I reviewed Saw Two, which is the of the saw movies the yeah. one that i find fairly watchable okay uh and i i think it's twice the movie that saw is yeah i think saw might be one of the most overrated horror movies of like recent memory Now yeah. it's not even that it's bad it's just it was it was looked at as such as an exciting game changer of a movie and it was just another seven want to be as far as i'm concerned was killer like, thriller. there was so many of them coming out at that time like the bone collector and all of these things and like this was just another one i don't I, i'm genuinely to this day mystified <laughs> i don't know how they got danny glover i don't know why people were so blown away by the twist I really think it's just okay. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of Lee Winnell, and I'm a big fan of uh, James, Wan. James Wan. They both went on to Bigger, Better Things, and they made a low-budget movie that they got a franchise out of it. I'm happy for them. Yep. But I gotta say, I just don't get it. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Larry. That's how
0: I really feel. It's been a while for Saw. Uh, I was actually going to comment that I just don't quite understand how Jigsaw made the leap, and... Other sort of cinematic movie monsters never didn't, yeah. didn't
1: but yeah, I, I. I guess I did that for you. Yes, you took the words right out of my mouth, Mister Meatloaf. Anyway, I've over time I've decided to stop fighting them, but like, I do think if it's something that I like, earn your earn this already. To quote Saving Private Ryan, earn, earn this. If you're gonna, you know, bring back a legacy character and destroy them, or you're gonna like. I'm I'm feeling the scrap in you in this one already. Just res, you know respect. You, you, um, I think it's a maligned subgenre for a reason. It, it's interesting. You told me because you know you made me do a Jean-Claude Van Damme episode. Oh, that I could, we're still was, on that, are we? No, that, mm-hmm. that I could pick the next episode. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And nobody wants to do sequels. You're ready. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I picked a sequel-based episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's just interesting. They're very popular. People pay mm-hmm. money, obviously, mm-hmm. but nobody's excited to talk about sequels. Nobody's like. Ooh, ooh. Let's talk about Stir of Echoes 2, Larry, please.
0: Yay! I'd never seen it before, there. so there you <laughs> go. I should thank you, Larry. I should thank you. You
1: racist, racist person. Larry. It's important that we have movies to teach us that racism is bad. Yeah. Um, is there anything you wanted to say? That was my starting point for this episode. No,
0: I think you've covered it pretty well. I don't want to like monopolize too much. Uh, of the time, and this is just merely the introduction. Shall you say the six movies that we're going to review,
1: Larry? I shall. I right. shall. We're going to look at Halloween 2018. Woo. We're going to look at Pet Cemetery 2. Ooh. We're going to look at Jeepers Creepers 3. Woo-hoo. We're going to look at Zombie 3. Mm. The aforementioned Stir of Echoes 2, The mm. Homecoming. Yep. And we're going to finish it with the. Uh,
0: somewhat controversial
1: Jurassic World sequel Fallen Kingdom I think a lot of people hated Fallen Kingdom until Dominion came out (laughs) but uh, to be continued yep thanks for being here Brad thanks for having me man I have prayed every night that he would escape who the hell did you do that for so I can kill him. The bus crashed. Michael Myers escaped.
0: He'll return to Haddonfield, his home. I need to protect my
1: family. You have no security system, Karen. Mom, you need help. Evil is real. There's a reason we're supposed to be afraid of this life. I've been preparing for this for a long time. It is not safe to be on the street tonight. Go home! Get out of here! Get inside! Michael! He's here. So I'm going to out Beckman as a huge Halloween fan. What? <laughs> Good thing we were both sitting down. I'm sure everybody's shocked and appalled. And um, there was a lot of interest in, like, build going into Halloween 2018. Yep. Yeah. And it was coming from a strange place. David Gordon Green is a bizarre filmmaker. You look at his filmography, and there are bizarre peaks and valleys. Yep. He did that Snow Angels movie, which was a devastating little indie drama, and he did Your Highness, one of the worst yeah. comedies ever produced yeah. with the budget. Yeah, enough cannot be said about a comedy
0: that's trying so hard and it's so not funny. Like, you see the setup and then the punchline hits and
1: you're like, ugh. He did that uh, sort of movie that started the let's reinvest in uh, Nick Cage, Joe, Yep. that did quite well. I've never actually seen that particular movie, but I know it's got a good reputation. did a reputation. film called George Washington. I think it's Nick Nolte. And and then he did Pineapple Express. Which I like, but you're not as much uh, as a fan I, of i i like i don't love a lot of people love that movie and a lot of people told me that i was supposed to love that movie i think it just sort of somehow poisoned it i don't know why but i like it i don't love it sorry but there it is there you go so i'm saying like he's not the first person that you would come to your mind you're like let's reboot halloween yep and he brings in his partner and co-writer Danny McBride, yep. star of Your Highness, yep. and uh, I think usually a fairly dependable supporting player. Yep. If you have him as a wingman in your comedy, he's good. For yep. some reason, when he takes center stage, it becomes too much. For some reason, he's like he's, he's a really good side character comedian. Sort of, he's like the next the the secret sauce, the
0: great supporting character actor that just brings it over the top. I do remember Alani once said, as we were watching, "This is the end," saying. Whenever Danny McBride shows up, the movie just goes up a notch. Yeah,
1: in that movie, it definitely does. Um, And I like him. But again, if I'm thinking, who should write the new Halloween movie? This guy is not going to jump to my mind right away. And they both came into it. And when the announcement was made, saying, look, we're Halloween fanboys. Yep. We're going right back to the original Halloween. We're bringing back the original cast as much as we are able. Yep. And we're going to do... A legacy sequel. Yeah. Nothing after the original Halloween happened. Yep. We're going to just start they, right here.
0: They painted themselves into a corner, though, with, like, all... like we do, We've already talked about the different timelines in the Halloween franchise, so they really did paint themselves in the corner. If they were going to do what they were going to do, they really had to just go, look, we're sorry, and blink. And we're right... We're years after the original. That's it. Yeah. I respect that. Of
1: all the sequels that do exist in between this one and the original, mm-hmm. I think it comes closest to resembling H2O in that it's yep. like Jamie Lee Curtis is back. She's been dealing with her trauma and it's all built around another confrontation between these two horror kingpins. Yep. And I have to say the movie starts impressively well. Yep. Yep we got a couple of podcasters, yep. true crime podcasters riding the wave of the true crime thing. And if this was a true story in the world, there would be a million podcasts about it. Yep. But they have the original mask. And they're yep. going to go walk up to the actual Michael Myers yep. and taunt him with this mask. Yep. And there's a cool scene where you see like everybody in the facility freaking out about it except for Michael Myers. Yep. and you know, Well, like, he turns his head. Yes. Yeah, but... We're like, oh, well, we really might got something interesting here. Yep. Going forward with the review, I'm going to try and like uh, measure it because, as we sit, you and I have seen the entire trilogy. Yep. What was and the line you had? <laughs> I think that, I think that, when this movie first came out, we would watch it with different eyes than we have, yep. knowing where we're gonna wash up. Yep. And. I'm, upon revisiting it, I still really like the movie. I think it's very solid entry in the Halloween franchise. Yeah. But because of my admitted disappointment with the direction that the, the this trilogy, quote-unquote, went... Yeah. Um, I felt like, all of a sudden, it had more weight and baggage to it than I remember. It felt slower-paced okay. than I remembered... And I I was seeing, or perhaps looking, for more wrong with it. (laughs) And that could be, you know, again, just my judgment being clouded, because we're only a few months away from Halloween, or past Halloween ends. Yeah. I think the big compliment, but back, kind of maybe backstage insult that I'll give this movie, is that it's so good that they really didn't accomplish much beyond it with two more movies. Okay. I mean, Halloween Kills has its highlight reel, absolutely. And say what you will about Halloween Ends, it was a big fucking swing. Yep. But this movie stands alone better than it stands, like, through three movies, the three movies together. Okay. And you and I are setting out on this adventure. There's going to be, uh, in this season of Rank and Review, we're going to do three episodes, and each episode is going to contain... One of the new Halloween movies in it. Yep. And the viewers will, by listening to these three-part episode, get our full taste yep. of the trilogy. Yep. By that measure, we will be a more effective trilogy than the Halloween trilogy that we're talking about here is. Okay, bold words. So, as a trilogy, I don't like it. As okay. this entry of the movie, Standing Alone, yep. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. But it is funny how you know on an episode about sequels, the subsequent sequels to this were disappointing enough to hurt my enjoyment of this one. Yeah, that's where I'm starting. I, see, that's oh, I almost think that's a little unfair because
0: you know, I, let's take it as a standalone film. Although it does have the baggage of some of the stank of the you know the next two movies. I get it. Yeah. But I want to take us back to like 2018. Me walking out of the theater. I love the fact that. It resonates what was going on, I think, socially, politically at the time. Um, I call this one of the first trauma porn, Me Too horror films, where it respected um, trauma uh, for, well, clearly the the Jimmy Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode character. Uh, She knows this character like an old jacket, inside and out, almost like Anthony Perkins and Norman Bates. No one else can play
1: Laurie Strode. Her life has been defined by that Halloween night. Yeah in 74 whatever it was supposed to be 76 anyway uh the original halloween she's never gotten over it like she's got her own daughter and a granddaughter now and the relationship is strained because she lives by herself on this acreage preparing her for the next tragedy to happen to the degree that she doesn't live a very happy or successful life yeah so Um, she's been waiting for this confrontation to happen. And finally, this year, this Halloween 2018, she's going to get what I guess on some level she's been wanting her entire life. Yep. Rumor has it that
0: originally, and I do think, and we've talked about this, is that, um, it's actually uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, who uh, sort of sabotages the bus or causes the accident. Yeah, it's little... never quite revealed that way, and I really wish it should have. But you know, once again, we'll talk about the trilogy and the we better. can only review
1: the movie we have, That's not true. the one we wanted. Yeah, but I always thought that was a very bold and interesting choice. However, um, there's a lot more setup to the movie. Like we have the the strong opening and these. Podcasters who use the same recording by the way machine that I use. Yep. um they uh, infringe first on Michael himself, but yep. then they track down Laurie Strode. Yeah, and it's kind of a clever, if maybe a little bit ob- obvious, way to sort of catch everybody up with where the characters are. Yeah, and they're believably shallow. But still, real enough people that we don't necessarily want something yeah, terrible to Yeah, we feel bad like, for their demise, and they have two very brutal deaths. <sighs> Michael gets his mask back. Yeah, uh, it's it's ugly, and it sets the tone for the movie right away. It's like Michael's back. Yeah, scary. Yeah, do not fuck with them. Yeah, it's Halloween. Yeah, like, this is on. Yep.
0: Yeah, no, I really do actually like what they do with Michael in this film series, uh, or at least in this. Yeah, we'll stay with this film. That sequence, even though we saw in the trailer, in the bathroom and the dropping of the teeth, like that's really sinister and a good idea. I love he's got a thing of like ripping off jaws, like the human jaws that I just,
1: you know, I admire. Um, no There's kid- subtlety to the film too. Yeah. Like as she walks into the room in the bath to go yeah. to the bathroom, if you look in the background, you can yeah. see Michael bludgeoning the mechanic to death. You don't yeah. see the whole action of it, but that's what's happening. Yeah, that's where he's got teeth. You even see him when they pull up to the gas station. He's like actually
0: walking in the background. Yeah, um, that's the original actor, uh, Nick Castle.
1: But they have these sort of carefully composed shots. That yeah, if you you look for it, it'll be there.
0: Yeah. It's a very well-directed, well-shot slasher movie. Um, I will say this. Um, it misses Dean Cundy, and I know he's still working. The one that, Having watched Carpenter's Halloween, once again, not that long ago, it's shot almost, especially with the night sequences, like a film noir. And this film is too bright. That's one of the complaints I had of aesthetically of this Halloween. It's almost like a pop culture palette where it's just very, very bright orange, and you needed a lot more darkness, at least with the shot sequences. That being said, there are some really well-choreographed fright scenes in this movie that made me kind of, wow, this is a Halloween movie. There's actually thrills to it. Um, He's also pretty brutal. He does have a moral code, but young children are not...
1: um, They don't escape all that well. One of the earlier kills in the movie is just a, a sweet little kid. Yeah. Um, I do think that there's a sweet spot with this type of movie like yeah. for all the dressing that it has on it this is a slasher movie yes and that's kind of what we paid our money for and it yes. is delivering on that Yeah. but the air in the proceedings especially this to last view is felt like I do think 90 minutes is about the right time for these sure. once we got an extra 15 minutes of padding but I do think that we get payback for that extra 15 minutes of padding we do because yeah because we kind of like her stepdad. He's a little bit of a goofball, yeah. but we like, we know he's going to die, and it's going to suck when he dies, and, and that, that prophecy is fulfilled, yeah. right? But uh, we go, ah. Yeah, the third wheel in the in the high school date relationship, who's clearly in love with Lori's granddaughter, and even though she's dating his best friend, who's a shithead, yeah. I mean, I could relate so much to that character, I almost felt personally attacked, right? Yeah. And, uh... Uh... It sucks when he dies. Yeah. Like and it's, he's kind again, of it's a, pathetic. He's kind of like a little bit cringy, but he does not deserve for that to happen. To no. You know, right? and it's
0: once again, it's a nice sequence where you know goes bright dark bright dark. You know Michael's there, but yeah,
1: no, it's you do feel very very bad. But they and, spend time on that kid. Yep. And at the end of the day, he's victim number four or whatever. Like yeah. it's. In another slasher movie, uh, we'd still get the cool, grisly, violent death, but I think it would be more—it would be less impactful. We wouldn't be like, "Oh damn, son!" Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And largely, that a it depends on how what you're looking for. I like that it has more of an emotional impact, but the more devastating the death. The more it deflates a little bit of the fun of a <laughs> oh, slasher movie. Sure. Too. Okay. So I think there's a give and take to be found there. I think there's a nice balance here, yeah, honestly, but um, that's what the extra runtime has bought us is is, you know, we actually care a little bit about these people before they die, which makes it sting a little more. Yeah. no, well, I loved actually
0: how the drama is portrayed in this movie. Um, we've already talked about how Laurie Strode, like, her trauma is very respectively shown. I love the scene at the restaurant where she comes, you know, late and obviously a little tipsy. Drunk, yeah. With Judy Greer, and then the daughter, I think is her name, uh, the actor's name is... Andy Magic. Andy Magic. I really like her. Um, yeah, I liked all... But also, I wanted to do a giant shout-out to, like, Will Patton. who is always. Who I'm going to give the one of the Cole Hauser (laughs) Jerry Award Reading Rankin Review uh, uh, award too
1: just a A A grade supporting player
0: yeah yeah I can't remember what he like what the character is in the original Halloween but apparently
1: he's a legacy character Officer Hawkins is his name we learn more about him in the next movie yeah
0: but he's I find him quite good both in this and obviously in the other series which we're not going to talk or in the other movies which we're not going to talk about but he's one of those character actors that even if the movie's terrible he's utterly watchable and can be quite good
1: yeah you remember
0: the punisher larry that of time. course
1: he's re- talked about yeah. him and that performance on this podcast he's really obviously on board yeah <laughs> no uh, i'm trying to think there was this awful movie called fled he we was... mentioned him for the mothman prophecies review. yeah 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 no
0: like he if he hasn't gotten one before he, sh- he should get it now he's consistently solid he's a really good villain and no way out there's and i'm and i know i'm missing other
1: movies well he's and even the like he's in forgettable or bad movies but he's good in them. Yeah, yeah uh his use in the movie was interesting because i didn't realize they were going to keep going with the character obviously but yeah he's one of the few people who is taking laurie at least a little bit seriously yeah and there's something between the two of yeah. them Yeah. and uh they don't overplay their hand on that but it's definitely there yeah but it's one of those those obvious plot points there where they're trying to show you like this is the guy who's going to save the day, and you have to be real when you're watching this movie this movie is about a conflict between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers yeah and if you or the movie is trying to tell you that it's about anything other than that yeah you're fucking kidding yourself yeah but, much like the other character we're talking about, I was like, it's going to really suck when they kill Will Pat, because I yeah. love me some Will Pat. Yeah, no. And no. they're kind of clever to keep him for the next movie, I yeah. think. Yeah.
0: Um, I do like how Gordon Green does handle the violence. Like, we do get, you know, quick bursts of brutality, but then... We also, like, hear some of the deaths with adds to the effect. Um, Once again, it was shown online pretty early, but when Michael does stalk the streets and goes, you know, through the back, those long tracking shots, which is very much a Halloween thing, and we see Michael grab that hammer and then, you know, and falls that woman, and we hear it, and then, obviously, we see after, and then Michael goes to the baby, and there's that quick, gasp, we know he's killed a kid. You know, will he do the child? And, of course, he just keeps on a-walking. But... You know, there's all these really good technical things that clearly, you know, they, they, they respected the Halloween lore and the Halloween technique a whole lot. There's just some decisions, and it's more to do with the script. Where I go, no, no, no. Let's well, let's
1: let's talk a little spoilers, Larry. Okay. Well, I think you're probably talking about the Sartre. The Sartre. Uh, yeah, the doctor's on board. He's clearly obsessed with Michael Myers. He's on the bus for the transfer. Yeah. He arranges the transfer to be on just before Halloween. Yeah. And then we don't see what causes the crash, which is like why there's all these questions about it. Yeah. But when we find out that he's evil and yeah. wanting to see Michael do his thing we assume no that, one is surprised yeah well we and assume that he's the person that unleashed michael upon caddenfield yeah. again yeah and it's a fair thing to assume but again it's all a distraction from what yeah. the movie is actually about like yeah. it's not about sartain he's not going to control michael he's not like yeah like here's the reveal and now he's instantly dead yeah so yeah that's kind of a dead end point of plot um, the asshole boyfriend that yeah. they spend a lot of time from completely vanishes from the movie. And th- as the movie by itself, it makes you go, "Why did we spend so much time with the boyfriend?" Yeah, we come back to him in the future movie. So yeah. I guess yeah. I will give them that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think the overarching relationship between Judy Greer and Jamie Lee Curtis is interesting. And yeah. she was raised by this shock. And she's quite mom. good in the movie. This one, they're yeah. both good in it, but. She's trying to tell herself that she's not this hard-ass that her her mother is, that she's actually sweet and soft. And Jamie Lee Curtis is trying to project that she's a hard-ass and she's got no love in her. And by the end of the movie, they've almost switched places. I really love it when Judy Greer says, gotcha, before she pulls the trigger on Michael, because... It would seem to be completely out of character, yeah. But we believe it one thousand percent. Yeah. Then he like fucking shoots him in the face. Yep. Right? Yeah, so, no. you know, you're like, yeah. Yeah. So I I like that exchange of like character attributes. Yeah. On some level, they are the same person. They're just yeah. at different poles, and they yeah. just both completely flip. Yeah. I think that's done fairly well. Yeah. But it's also pretty obvious. Yep. It's, it's, it's yep. the thing that you yep. do with that type of relationship. I really hope... And this is... As a fan
0: of the Halloween franchise, it just seems that almost every Halloween movie now then goes back to the closet. Like, there's a little homage every single time. Yeah. We get it. I, I do think we need to stop doing that. It just... I I get it. It's a classic scene from Halloween, but there's so many
1: classic scenes from Halloween. We don't need to go back to that I think the only thing that are essential, maybe, are the theme and the mask. Yeah. I think the rest is pretty much up for grabs. Yeah. But for the most part, in this standalone installment, like, I am happy. And I'm so happy that Resurrection (laughs) is no longer where we leave things with, with the Halloween franchise. Yeah it's like apology accepted you yeah know? <laughs> I will also respect I don't know
0: how much stunts that Jamie Lee did but I remember sort of thinking you know Michael Jamie or Laurie Strode should have beaten Michael down that last has, like upon viewing it again this time it's quite brutal even when Michael like smashes through the door and grabs Laurie and is like slamming
1: away Think, they both get substantial hits. Yeah, like, no. Like, it's... I remember... I, it, ouch. And they blow ouch. off some of his hand, too. Yeah, yeah. no, and like... it's the first movie of the three. I was like, geez, that's kind of a substantial wound for him to get in the first movie. Yeah, no, like,
0: it's... Ouch. So I take back the whole running a freight train through Michael, although... And once again, I'm just thinking of where we were at that time because Me Too was definitely in the throes of it. Um, I do kind of wonder if if Laurie just should have taken a baseball bat a little bit more anyways mm-hmm. it's brutal it's you know like I just ouch um we should probably try to wrap it up yeah yeah just yeah I don't know I, I it's such a good Halloween sequel and it does a lot of things right more than it does wrong that I can't I can't hate it and I was so happy when I when the end credits
1: rolled up I understand that I opened hard on it yeah but I think I'm finishing like strong yeah. on it Right. Yeah. I understand the criticism yeah. that's the thing And, uh, again, I am fresh off of, like, my disappointment with Halloween ends. And then I just sort of started at the beginning because we're happy to be doing it for the podcast. And I don't think I would have been carrying as much baggage uh, even a few months from now. And the movie works wall to wall. If you want to watch a Halloween movie, this is a good one. Yep. And, like, even when we go on further in the episodes and I'll be complaining about both of the sequels... There are way worse. Oh. oh. than these. Like, uh, I, I think everybody needs... I feel needs the phlegm coming up from my throat again. Everybody needs to relax yeah. a little bit on yeah. the David Gordon Green ones. But I would be lying if I said it didn't sour my expectations at least a little bit on this forthcoming Exorcist trilogy, Ooh. in quotations. I, I say be patient, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Good enough? Yeah, yeah. Hey, what are you doing? Getting things ready for mom. Mom's dead, Jeff. She doesn't have to be. Something strange.
0: I didn't think much about it until I saw him drag the body out of the coffin.
1: Something ancient.
0: Bury your own. Something evil. Was it your idea of a joke to send me blood from a dead animal? This dog is alive. Not this
1: dog. Something terrifying is happening in Ludlow, Maine. Pick up your family, and get the hell out of that
0: town! Pet Cemetery 2
1: Jeff, honey. Father and I need to talk. Some stories just won't stay dead. What you don't understand, Batman, is sometimes dead is better. Yo. <laughs> I, uh, I have a lot of affection for the 89 Pet Cemetery. It's a good Stephen King adaptation, yeah, yeah. I recognize that there's some problems with it, but there's also some genuinely troubling scenes in it that, mm. like, still kind of stick with me sometimes when I think about it. And it's definitely one of King's like true blue horror movies. Yeah. And it really didn't seem like it needed to have a sequel. Like yep. it just it just seemed unnecessary. And Mary Heron, here she shows up to Mary direct, Lambert. Or, pardon me, Mary Lambert. Mary Heron, someone else. Mary Lambert. She's showing up to thank you for that, direct this sequel. Mm-hmm. And it's nineteen ninety two, three years later. And I believe I described it to you when we were having our sort of preliminary discussion yesterday mm-hmm. as kind of a lost, crazy 80s movie mm-hmm. that got released in 1992. Mm-hmm. Like, the grunge soundtrack definitely gives away Ages the hand. Ages the movie like fine, stanky cheese. It gives its hand to that it's a 90s movie. But the nuts and bolts insanity mm-hmm. inside this movie makes it almost feel... Like a crazy 80s movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually saying that as a compliment right mm-hmm. now. Like, is Pet Cemetery 2 a good movie? Mm-mm. No. Did I enjoy watching it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Has my opinion on the movie changed drastically upon revisiting it this many years later? Yes. But is it a good movie? No. No. <laughs> Two important things to remember. As the reason to watch this movie. Yep. Clancy fucking Brown. Well (laughs) said, sir. (laughs) Clancy fucking Brown is just giving it everything. He plays like a cliched Stephen King style villain, even though this one's not written by Stephen King. Who apparently disowned this movie. Completely, you know, deep with the main accent and completely inconsistent in his behavior, especially once he's resurrected... By the ancient burial ground, which will bring people back or animals back, but as evil, vicious, killing things. Yeah. Um, Edward Furlong, who was kind of a minor celebrity for a while, uh, riding yeah. off of the success of Terminator 2, who has like one like acting <laughs> mode. Anyway, so well, I, I think he did enough roles as a young actor that he kind of got to being decent. Like, by the, t- by the yeah. time he got American History X, he was ready for it. Yeah. You know? Um, and I don't, I don't dislike Edward Furlong. I get that, you know, he it's got to be hard going through puberty in Hollywood while everyone's fucking watching. Like I just, yep, I no. wouldn't wish that upon anyone. So I'm gonna use kid gloves on Edward Furlong. Sure. Uh, yeah, he's got some eye rolling lines, but he didn't fucking write the script. That's I true. Think he's doing what he can with it. Yeah. But, because I was a high school student when this movie came out, and this movie was directed right at me, yeah. and because at the time I loved Pet Cemetery so much, I kind of hated this movie's guts yeah. when it first came out. Yeah. And now I just think it's so deliciously bonkers. It's so all over the place. It so doesn't make any sense, and yet is weirdly hypnotizing to watch. And, did I mention Clancy? <laughs> fucking brown So so tell me about Clancy like, Brown in this movie Larry I I just appreciate like uh you know Highlander was on his back and yep. like the, he, he you know he's been This was ex- the next gig for him right yep. And I don't know that everything looked good on paper but they hired Clancy Brown and he was determined to give them their money's worth Yep And what I find so funny, and weirdly at the same time a little bit frustrating, is like, he's this complete abusive son of a bitch. Complete with rape, by the way. Yeah, didn't need that scene. Um, Then he gets killed and resurrected. Yeah. And initially, when he comes out of the ground... He's just a much better person. I know. The <laughs> and, demonic ghost is actually it improves his personality. And I thought, like, is going to be some weird twist where, like, if you're already super evil, you yeah. come out like Jesus or something? <laughs> but no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he turns back to the evil really big. Um, Anthony Edwards is in the movie. I usually really like him. He but tries,
0: well... He at least keeps the acting grounded. Everyone else seems to be just dialing it up and He notch. doesn't
1: have a fun role. No. Like Clancy Brown has a fun role. And yeah. He knows that this movie's bad. And yeah. it's kind of on his face a little bit. Yeah. And that's why I have so much respect for Clancy Brown. He knows this movie's bad, but he's going to be the best thing in it. Yeah. Um, so, it leaves me in a weird place when I say, like, where am I going to stand on this movie? Yeah. Because I seriously don't think it's a good movie. No. But I, I, I had a lot of fun revisiting it. Like, And again, when I was coming in, I thought this was going to be homework. I thought this was going to be like, hold your nose and get through it. Like, this was tear off the band-aid territory. Yeah. And I have to say, I liked it. Yeah. It's it's. I liked the badness in it. I liked the spe- specificity yeah. of the grunge and the aesthetic and the fashion that was so... Of our high school time, you know, and on top of it, you have bizarre dream sequences, a strange color palette, a tone all over the place. Like typical Stephen King villains as the bullies. Yeah, they're just awful. I don't feel like uh, Mary Lambert's going off half-hearted here. Like it's kind of an ambitious swing, but it is nothing like tonally or thematically the original movie. (laughs) It has the same setting of the original movie. And that is all. Well, it is more a
0: horror comedy where the original Pet cemetery was at least trying It was to a full-blooded horror, horror movie. Yet. Where this is like... Yeah, da, 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 da. <laughs> just some of... I don't know whether their script choices uh, or just style choices. I was worried at the beginning, even with the opening credits, where I went, wow, this is a big-budget studio movie with credits that you know, Night of the Demons would be happy about. Right. And even the choice of music, I'm like... Ooh. Um, but in 92 it might have been awesome maybe i guess so um I, uh, I had a, well i can understand your sort of it's you love that it's just bonkers because it does have that sort of crazy crazy 80s vibe to it explain to me the montage at the end larry when the cars <laughs> pulling away and all the people that died get that little sort of like bubble dissolve or bubble little i don't know it was just what <laughs> Well, I
1: mean, we had established in the lore of whatever the first story that people killed by this evil manifest as ghosts and try to help out. Yeah. They don't do much with this. I remember being weirdly surprised. um, Edward uh, Furlong's buddy. Yeah. Who's well put upon, especially by the Clancy Brown character. Yeah. And this sort of, like, the wingman friend role. I'd totally forgotten about this car accident. Yeah, that no, I was like, ooh. And I was like, like, the movie's obviously dark. It's about death and resurrection. Edward Furlong's mom dies in an accident in the opening scene of the movie. Yeah. And like, they're all, this, this whole story happens on the precipice of that death. As yeah. not so often. But for some reason, I was genuinely surprised by the death of the best friend and the mom. I was like, yeah. it didn't feel like this is the kind of movie where they were going to make that move. And yeah. they totally made that move. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And when did Edward Furlong dig up the mother and bring her back to the
0: burial ground? I know it's one of those. And it does have to have been months later now. So he was yeah. digging up a slushy mess. Yeah, and I know it's one of those. We'll just, you know, just go with it. Leave.
1: Just go with it. Yeah, but
0: um, yeah, no, it's. The production values are sort of all over the place because they actually do respect the gore a little bit, but there's just other things that I'm just the. How much money did they have into the budget? it was stretched?
1: It's an interesting movie. I the, can't. The original Pet Cemetery, The people who didn't like it hit on Dale Midkiff and uh, the Star Trek actress yeah. uh, Denise Crosby. I want to yeah. say uh, as being a little bit flat, especially considering they're like. A married couple dealing with a devastating yep. loss. Yep. And I honestly think that Midkiff, anyway, is first trying to play shock and then trying to play madness. Mm-hmm. But You know, they all get wiped off the screen by Judd, right? Like, because he's the only one giving a big performance. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe Mary Lambert overcorrected for that in this movie Mm. and told everyone, go as big as you want. Go as big as hell. You know, this is a horror movie. We have no need of anyone's subtlety in this movie. And it worked for Clancy Brown's character because his character was so crazy and over the top. Yeah. But it kind of made some of the other background characters creak a little more yep. than i want them to um what's your thought on cat jump scares larry well i don't like random stare, false scares that don't push forward story yep. and i get especially mad if it's a cat and if there's three of them yep. in one movie which i believe there is three <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's too many yeah that's too many um again i i don't mind jump scares but i yep. don't like false scares yeah i don't like. Hey, everybody, how's it going? You yeah. know, like, yeah. Oh, where'd that care to come from? No. Earn your scare. Yeah. You know, a pigeon flapping its wings out of the darkness is the laziest thing in the world. Yeah. Except, of course, a fucking cat. Yep. Yep.
0: Um, it's one of those movies where you can see the jump scare coming. You can almost count like one, two, three. The... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of those which just, you know, you can roll your eyes to this movie is it's got a little crazy to it crazy to it uh, crazy to it though that I do respect because it's all about Clancy fucking Brown
1: yeah another thing I like about this one on an aesthetic level that's Mm -hmm. going to carry over to our next episode actually is that it's kind of a Halloween movie yep most of the movie is set on Halloween well the first I don't know 45 minutes or hour the movie is set on Halloween I guess presumably the next night will be November 1st but uh, you got the dead leaves on the dirty ground, you yep. got the Halloween costumes, and you got the pumpkins, and that sort of fall. This vibe. Fall, it was shot in
0: Canada, too. Yeah, I like, wouldn't um, be surprised almost, if it was. Almost BC.
1: But it has that BC fall vibe, yeah. and I like that as yeah. a setting for horror movies. It's like it really adds to the mise en scène. This movie doesn't deserve such fancy language, <laughs> but yes. But talk dirty to me, later. <laughs> um. And there is an off-the-charts bonkers sequence with uh, Anthony Edwards having this dream sex scene. Yes, I remember this now. the woman's head turns into their husky dog who had been resurrected growling at him, and then he wakes up. He also seems to be dealing much better with the death of his wife than his son. So much so that I wondered, is there going to be a revelation later on, like they weren't doing well or he Well was, they were on the outs, remember? Yeah. Yeah. But uh yeah. Usually I just think Anthony Edwards was, was doing the best he could out of a bad situation, but he couldn't Clancy Brown his way out of that role no. particularly. That should be a verb now. <laughs> yes. Um He Clancy Browned it. Yeah, I mean I feel like these these It's such a small thing. It's got a Halloween vibe, and it reminds me of my high school years. That's not a reason to recommend a movie. And yet. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me you liked it, Larry. Again, I liked watching this bad movie, but I think it might be specific to Don't feel no shame, Larry. Don't feel no shame. (laughs) It could be specific to me, and like I say, this is one of these ones that I revisited. And I was surprised. Like, I had a good time with Pet Cemetery too. Who knew? And again, Stephen King, who I love, had nothing to do with this. Yeah. They just took the lore and the setting and made this ridiculous MTV thing. If I can defend Frankenfish, you can defend Pet Cemetery too. Well there I stand. Is yeah. there anything else you no. want to say about PS2? <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. When it comes, it'll kill anyone that's still here. We need teamwork shopkeepers, farmers, anyone who's looked this thing eye to eye and lived to tell about it and wants to do something about it. What happened here happened before. Just tell me one thing. Did you bring something that can kill it? What is the secret? So what this thing is, is the secret of how to kill it. Jeepers Creepers. What? So as a child, I was watching the immortal classic Masters of the Universe. Mm, You said, Amen. (laughs) Meg Foster, of course, played evil Inn. I mean, everybody knows this. Who <laughs> has, like, the most intense cat eyes I've ever seen on an actor. I remember, even as a child, thinking those blue, emerald glowing eyes looked almost like a special effect. But that yeah. was just her. Yeah. Because I saw her in another movie not long after that, uh, Blind Fury. With ah, Rutger yes. Howard. She yes. just has a small, like, one-scene role in the first part of that movie. And there she was with those eyes. And then They lived the John Carpenter movie. Yep, she's and, been in a lot of stuff. And uh, I was always, like, just, like, impressed, like, I was weirdly hypnotized by her. And I think she's a decent actress, but yep. there's just something powerful about her stare. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was a while there where I was like, what happened? Whatever happened to her? Like, she always sort of stuck in my head. And she showed up in that uh, Rob Zombie witch movie, Lords of Salem. Okay. Um, but... In this movie, here she is back, loud and proud, and like uh, that was the thing that kind of got me into it. I mean, we've talked about the Jeepers Creepers franchise before. Yeah. you're a big fan. You're a conditional uh, defender of Victor Salva. Well, uh, I, I don't condone his actions. His actions, but and... You feel he's paid his price, and we don't have to hate his art. Um, I say, I'll leave it at. I'd say we
0: can appreciate art made by very troubling people. Yeah. Um, he since sold the rights, but you know, I mean looking into what he got imprisoned for? It's, it's.
1: I think you need you do need to separate the art from the artist a little bit. Well. I'm going to resolve to just do that for this movie. I just want to review this monster movie called Cheaper's Creepers 3. Yeah. I don't care. Like I've said before, it takes a village to make a movie. Yeah. And there was more than a few fucking assholes in that village. Yeah. Somebody on the crew was a rapist. Somebody on the crew was beating his kids. Somebody on the crew was terrible. Um, You know, if, if all of a sudden we're not allowed to like things for that reason. There was an actual legitimate murderer. On set of The Exorcist. Are we not allowed to like The Exorcist? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Anyway. It's, Jeepers, a, pl- it's a collaborative story. art. Yeah. <coughs> For me, it wasn't about Victor Salva, and it was limitedly about the Creeper himself. I felt like yeah. they kind of shat the bed a little bit enough in the second movie, but yeah. here we are. Let's see Meg Foster. Let's see the Creeper back at work. Yeah. And uh, let's have some fun. Yeah. And is it successful? Kind of, yep. I guess. I mean, I just can't get excited about it, Lee, but, like, yep. kind of. There, it, There's some interesting things. Like, really, this is kind of Jeepers Creepers 2 in that, in the order of the storytelling, it takes place between Jeepers Creepers 1 and Jeepers Creepers 2, and it actually starts... At the end of Jeepers Creepers 1, and it ends at the beginning of Jeepers yep. Creepers 2. Yep. So, in a weird way, this is a, part 3 is a prequel to part 2. Yep. Um, and that's just an interesting choice. Because enough time has gone by, he really could have version 2.0 of the Creeper out by yeah. now. Like, that was a, a conscious choice that he made to do it that way. Um and other than that I guess the big revelation the addition to this particular permutation is he's got more toys in his arsenal. Yep. And it seems like his truck is as much of a monster as he is. It almost seems sentient and able to defend itself. Yep. And uh, as I was watching and I didn't know how to feel with about it, but it did provide them opportunities to do things that we hadn't seen before yep. in the Jeepers Creepers movies. So i guess that is a limited success yeah but to go back to meg foster and me being all worked up about seeing meg foster in the movie I, I i like we keep on cutting back to these scenes of her and her family at the farm and her finding this claw that was a piece of the creeper that he needs to destroy yeah and this giving her visions about the creeper presumably because we never get to see it yeah and Which where all those scenes add up to and what they contribute to the movie yeah. is just a mystery to me. Like, yeah. really, it's a separate... They're deleted scenes. They should be deleted scenes, almost. Like, they don't play in... Even the other officer who also gets treated to the Vision and has, like, a face-to-face with the Creeper.
0: Yeah. It doesn't Stan, help
1: him in any way. I even mean, Sheriff
0: Dan, played by Stan Shaw, or the other... Well, the, I think it's the black guy. Yeah, that's Dan Shaw's the
1: actor. Sheriff, yeah. Dan... Uh, um, Dan somebody. Yeah. Uh, he was that. funny when they first introduced him because I don't know if you had the same thought, but when he walked up with the badge, the boots, and the cowboy hat, yeah, I was like, mysterious black guy who knows more about the villain than he should. Yeah. Just like in Jason Goes to Hell and just like in the halloween movies the cult of thorn is like is that like a conscious tip of the hat that salva's doing to that archetype i mean he doesn't use him in the same way but when he walks on the screen when he first shows up yeah that's exactly where my brain went well which is interesting because he
0: does actually have a recurring character both from the first and the third one There's that that sort of overweight overweight or at least doughy other sheriff that's like becomes buddy buddy with uh, the other sheriff um the actor's name is brandon smith Um, I forget his character's name, but he's actually in the police station in the first first one, and he comes up and seems to at least know what the Creeper is capable of as well. So I did sort of like this, or I appreciate that fact. Watching Jeepers Creepers 3 again, I really appreciate that the Creeper is a really interesting movie cinematic horror villain. I I am sort of sad that it's not bigger than it actually is because the whole idea that it's eating certain body parts and you know, it re, its almost like a plant that way that I, I sort of admire. I also sort of think that Victor Salva really wanted to make a Mad Max movie to, with this one. There is lots of like car chase sequences that are so out of Mad Max that I like that. It, this is probably the most actiony
1: out of all three. The car it's bombs were a little much. The least frightening and most action packed of the three, but yeah. I don't necessarily. There was always a percentage of that in the first Jeepers Creepers when he like. Flies and lands on the roof of the police car and yeah. like sort like it's dark and it's bloody and it's violent, but it's not exactly scary. Yeah, it's closer to the Terminator wiping out the uh, police precinct in yeah. the original Terminator than it is yeah. to like uh, biting your nails. You got to eat your hand while this whole sequence is playing out. It's probably also the most comedic because there's I giggled when you know the
0: creeper comes back up and still riding on the truck or it's riding away on the truck and he's on the roof and then it sort of comes back. There's little sort of giggle moments in this one that I admired more than the second and even the first one.
1: Part of the movie is him sort of running this errand. He had a limb chopped off and he needs to find it and get rid of it. Yeah. And it's getting in the way of his traditional hunt. Yeah. Um, But I like that they kind of got away from the sniffing of laundry and the whistling of Jeepers Creepers. And the stalking and coveting. Because, well, in on one hand, it sort of feeds into the gross Victor Salva stalker angle of it. Yeah. And uh, on the other hand, it just, like, it would slow things down a little bit. I think at this point, we know the rules of the Jeepers Creepers world, and he just wants to put the pedal to the metal and give us that. And I, I don't condemn that choice, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> if you tried to make the exact same movie, <clears throat> it would fail as well. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Um I guess the full side story with the sort of love interest between the two characters, it didn't quite work for me. I mean, they're likable.
1: Um, but I almost felt nothing Lebowski. Most of the characters that way. The, 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 yeah. the gaggle of bikers that get mowed down by the, the like, I don't care about any of them. Yeah. Even the one lone survivor who hangs out for a little while just to be killed a little bit later on in the movie. It was they were all lambs for the slaughter and it seemed like they went into it somehow knowing it themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I like Meg Foster in a sort of Medea like role. I She's, she's a, good yeah. She's good is I know. the thing. I just don't I, I was I, I got myself excited to see her, you know, yeah do something in the movie and she didn't in the end have a bunch to contribute. Well, she just goes to you know torture and spiritual hell <laughs> um like and a random semi-truck shows up to save the day in a like a really key moment like yeah. oh no he's about to get us we're in the middle of the night in this rural road and then a truck comes out of nowhere yeah. it's like pet cemetery came to interrupt jeepers creepers all of a sudden yeah uh, that's nobody's personal act of heroin that's yeah. about as close to deus ex machina as you can like have in this type of movie and the Creeper is basically indestructible anyway, so it's just going to slow him down for a scene. But it's, that's sort of almost self-consciously sloppy writing to me. And you got to take a few points away for a movie that sets itself up for a sequel yeah. that we will never see. I know, which is sort of
0: frustrating. Yeah, I was sort of thinking about it with Gina Phillips at the end when she's... Who I like, by the way. Yeah, Yeah, I like too, but in the sort of cinematic timeline that she's got to wait another 27 years but she'll be what in her 50s or 60s at that point I guess she could still get physical but yeah no it, it just sort of frustrates that we'll probably never ever get the conclusion of that and I this movie when it was being advertised promised you'll get a lot more answers of the creeper which is both a good and a bad thing because but did we? Well, no, we didn't. That's the thing. It, it, was, it was a giant tease. You know, we, ooh, we know that certain people know what it is and know how to kill it now. He has lots of engineering skills, yeah. apparently. Yeah, and he does a big, no! And that's the end of it. It's, it's just frustrating. It does feel like almost like it's a slice of a sandwich that, you know, in the middle part of a really... You know, it's a slice of meat in a really good sandwich. Well,
1: a slice of meat in an okay sandwich, I should say. Just little things that, again, if I was more into the movie, I probably would have let go or not been thinking about. There's a scene where someone shoots a shotgun at him, and he swings his axe, and deflects his shotgun blast with his axe. First of all, we've seen him take shotgun blasts before. It's really no big deal. (laughs) Secondly, you can't fucking deflect a shotgun blast with an axe. It's yeah. just like I get that the whole movie is silly, but that's just fucking silly.
0: You know? Yeah, but I did giggle when like he one of his eyes is out and he's trying to use that spear and he has to like readjust himself. Like I said, there's lots of cute little jokes that I get they know I'll say this, Salvo knows cares a lot about the creeper well and what it can do. Um it's at this point it's kind of comedic more than it is scary.
1: the lower budget hurts it too it does the CGI particularly when the creeper is flying takes me out of it Mm. and I think especially when you start with a comparably higher budget and higher production level thing when you drop the production that substantially people feel the change before they even like hear a character say anything you just tell there's not as much polish there's not as much money there's not as much love here um well, I think they but did. it's hard to get mad at it either. They did what they could, the I the Creeper think... kills a bunch of people and, like, it delivers on the goods like that you sign up for when you're watching Creep- Jeepers Creepers 3. Like, it's... Considering the small budget,
0: I actually think they do quite well. It's, it is sort of a slick production. It's got some editing problems, uh, almost like it's a TV transition a couple of times, but considering how low budget this action movie is, there's some... I enjoyed some of the
1: practical and a little bit of the CG effects. Well, he dialled do down his ambition. He was yeah, like, he was "I do try to the, the wings soul. look a little hokey at some point." Yeah, when he's flying, it takes me out of it a bit. And some of yeah. the like things shooting out of the truck or whatever. Yeah, but again, I think by the time you're sitting down to watch Jeepers Creepers three, you're either on board with this or you're not. Um, and like, I think it might get a just skirting pass, but. I'm just not excited about it. You know? Fair enough. Um, the first one was by far the best of the three, and uh, I think the second one's kind of skippable. But um, you know, I, <laughs> I've obviously not been as attached to Jeepers Creepers as you have. So well, I, uh, I expect monster- to hate it, yeah. it, to be honest, especially. After our our debate over the first one and my memories of the second, it was, like I said, I was much more excited to see Meg Foster than I was the Creeper at this point. So the fact that it got a passing grade might be an achievement. There you go. Good enough? Good enough. Sorry, I feel like I mowed over you there. That's okay. This two-part episode with my buddy Scott Lehman, yep. friend of the show, friend of mine, good... Let's let just send out the good vibe to Scott. Hi, Scott. How's it going, brother? Um, we were listing some of our guilty pleasure horror movies, and he mentioned Zombie 3 as one of them, and like... I've said before in this podcast, like, I have a little bit of a barrier to get through when it comes with some of the vintage Italian cinema. Yeah. I, I find the dubbing distracting. I find the gloss a little bit distracting. Yeah. And just the cheese level, there's a little bit of a hill to get over. Yeah. It's, it's hard cheese, to, you know, it's either something that you acquire a taste for or you don't. And largely I haven't. I'm not the guy who gushes over Dario Argento. And as much as I'm a zombie fan, it's usually not the Italian zombie movies that light me up. There are exceptions. I love Cemetery Man. Mm-hmm. <coughs> that seemed more, more like a love letter than it was an actual... But, like, there's exceptions. Yep. Like, there, there are movies that just are are undeniable. Pieces. Yep. You just have to just take pieces. Right? You just uh, okay, you get a pass. So that's just so bonkers. Yep. And I guess I understand where he's coming from, and this could be looked at as one of those types of movies. And just looking at, like, the IMDb page, you can tell that the movie's a hot mess. has three credited directors, five credited writers, and uh, (laughs) Lucio Fulci, who gets the credit... Lucio Fulci. Yeah, has talked shit about this movie himself. Uh, There's a military doing an experiment Experiment, they call it, was it Death 1 or Death something, Potion 1? Sure. Terror, they decide they're going to abandon it because it's too dangerous, but that very day, terrorists attack, steal it. As well, they do, we, the terrorists always mess up your plan. Yep. Yeah. Uh, like the while they're trying to escape, the package is compromised, and the zombie plague is unleashed. Yep. Cut to... Well, there's I think there's three females and a dude driving in this van and these three military but like dude bros yeah <laughs> who uh bump into each other and decide they're gonna suddenly be best friends and hang out and they have to weather this catastrophe all of this is being narrated by this dj they keep cutting back to this bald black guy who's yeah. like uh t- talking and it's funny because the camera's always editing around people's faces so we don't have to deal with the bad dubbing and uh there's a weird cheese factor to it uh there's no real consistency because it's directed by different people there's actually different like film grains yeah and we cut from sequences and characters sequences of characters that we lose track of where we are we enter into scenes where we just don't know who these oh oh right no i remember these people now but yeah when did he get hurt? Did did I miss a scene? What's happening? It's almost like it's trying to disorient you. Yeah. And I guess I can see how on the right day and the right mood this would become kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. But because I've got this predisposition like already the aesthetic raids on me. Yeah. The way the dialogue comes out in this disjointed slow Unnatural way, yeah, and the story that's actually being painfully slowly told is so basic and by the numbers. Point point, I just have to sit back and wait for what we come here to see, yeah, which is the zombie violence. And with the Italian films, them tig ass biddies, <laughs> right? <You sure? laughs> I mean, that's the exploitation that they usually deal in. It's certainly what Zombie 2 dealt in, like, yeah, infamously. But that whole that level, there's no sexual exploitation. Almost none in the movie. It, 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 it teases it a couple, at a couple of scenes where, you know, I think even a 13 or 14-year-old could write better screen lines. But, they, but for whatever reason, yeah. and this is unusual because they don't usually flinch when it comes to titties, yep. they decided to. And even the violence, I thought, was weirdly truncated at times. Like, whereas... Usually, they would zoom in and show the meat and potatoes. And, like, even if the effect wasn't great, they would just, like, here it is. The movie kind of flinched to me. A lot of times, they cut away when I was expecting them and, I guess, kind of wanting them not to. Because with everything else working against me, at the very least, right, they're going to give me the gore. They're going to give me the boobs. They're going to give me the exploitation. And at the end of the day, I don't know that they... Did as much. I mean, there's certainly violence in the movie. There's, there's a couple of
0: scenes where you just kind of go, "Wow." The Owen Wilson, wow. Yeah. Uh, there's a birthing scene that sure you do see, you know, coming a mile away and go,
1: Mwah. As soon as we saw the pregnant woman, both of yeah. us went, "Uh oh." Yeah. We we literally just watched this movie yesterday, by the way. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's pretty fresh in our mind. There's a
0: floating head sequence that made me kind of smirk a little bit. So there are. For those who, you know, love their over-the-top gore, they're, they are few and far between. I will give you
1: that. It's but watchable there. and at times amusing. But yeah. again, it's not good. And although I had fun with it, I, I guess I have to confess somehow... Even though I'm a zombie dude, I had considerably more fun watching <laughs> Cemetery Two than I, I did understand. watching Zombie Three. I understand. Um, but I understand what it is, and I understand that if you do like this sort of thing yeah. how it could be kind of funny and hilarious. But I also would say there's better gore zombie movies yep. and there's better Sexploitation Italian movies. Yeah. Like, it's not memorable for anything that they're typically memorable for. It's more memorable for it's sort of laziness and wandering nonsensical narrative well if you just look up the
0: history of what happened by all accounts Fulci had shot 73 minutes his original cut and showed it to producers and they were like meh and depending on who you ask he either got fired or he quit over creative differences and so the first AD then took over and created some subplots that even the grain of the film looks a little different and these characters that do come in and out periodically and some survive some die I'm guessing the whole DJ that was probably an added extra on as well. Yeah. I did like that he bookend the
1: film, but it's traditionally I like zombie films where we follow different pockets of survivors and see them yeah. play out. Well, one of the my discoveries of the genre was Return of the Living Dead, which kind of does that. We have these different groups trying to get to each other and out of the situation, but it's not organized. So we cut from different groups of Survivor, a different couple in this place, a different couple in that place, but sometimes it's been so long since we've seen them, it takes a second to readjust. But that all pales compared to whenever they cut back to the military and the scientific team. Whenever we cut back to that lab and there's an exchange between the scientist and the military guy, yeah. I feel the movie fucking stop. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. and they go back to them again and again yeah. and they have the same stilted conversation with the weird pauses in places yeah. where they don't need to have pauses and yeah. it's fucking infuriating. Somewhere. But I understand on another day how it could be fucking hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No.
0: Somewhere Ed Wood is smiling. Um Yeah, yeah. Calling that like the the characters vanilla, I think, is also like, giving too much of a compliment. Like you just, there's nothing really sort of to differentiate any of it, any other character, any the characters themselves. I mean, yes, there's a woman, yes, there's a man, but I care
1: nothing for them. It, the like, whole conceit of the three guys that we're supposed to be cheering for is that they're a bunch of you know military blokes yeah. off duty looking for some poon, right? Yeah. and they're so it's interchangeable that dude. like. They're so interchangeable that we don't know any of their names. When one of them gets killed off, we're like, oh, two to go. And at the very end, when another one of them gets killed off, we're supposed to be devastated. We're supposed to be like, no. And I'm honestly like, well, I guess that guy is dead because I wasn't invested enough to know any of their names. Yeah. (laughs) He somehow survived being mauled by eight zombies at once, only to be gunned down by the military. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the movie, some lost in translation, was saying something about the military or the power structure or the response to an emergency, but none of that comes across, (laughs) right? Yeah. (laughs) But the absurd beats I see sort of walking the line. On some days, they would be terrible. On other days, they're hilarious. There's a few times where a zombie just sort of drops out of the ceiling. Yeah. Like, for no reason. Now, zombie attack. Yeah. Oh, or like the jump scare that makes no sense. She just walked through that room very slowly in the classic format. Yep. Yeah. Calling out, calling out, calling out. And then they just do a reverse shot. Suddenly they go to her front and there's someone standing behind her. They just teleported there and that's your jump scare. Right. Yeah. So like, I, I get what Scott's talking about. I just, I, I'm not a, it wouldn't have been on my list. Yep. No, I understand. And I, I agree with you. Um, We saw it, I mean, 24 hours ago, and already it's
0: fading from my memory.
1: Like, it's just... Well, I had seen it before. You got me, actually, a bunch of these Italian movies sometime for my birthday or something, like uh, three or four zombies movies. We picked them up at Tramps or something downtown. It was years ago. And I watched them all, like, in a day. I just, like, spent my afternoon watching them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that kind of made them sludge in my brain. Sure. I was trying to recall, like when Scott brought it up on the podcast, like I've seen that movie, but I'm having trouble even conjuring an image from it and watching it again. I now understand why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't want to completely dismiss it either. Like, uh, it is another one of these Italian zombie movies and there is a specific flavor to these. And if it does agree with you, like this is another one. But yeah, it's so much worse than Zombie, or Zombie 2, as it were. At least in that one, you get, you know, the sexploitation and the zombie fighting the shark and the sliver and the yeah, eye. You know, like, zombie, there's these big zombie two centerpiece is, moments to it. It is a classic horror movie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this one doesn't have those. You know, it's. It's it just. Not even meh. Yeah, it's just. Here it is. Yep. It's an Italian zombie movie, and it do not make a lick of sense. Yep. And if you're in the mood for that, Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It's not for everyone Yeah, Sorry, Scott. Love you. I'm gonna preface this with, what's your feelings on Rob Lowe? Oh, well, I believe we had this conversation yesterday. Yes. <laughs> but, uh I'm. I, I find it strange how Rob Lowe's been around since like the early '80s. Yep. Consistently working. Yep. And I've seen him in quite a bit of stuff. Yep. And I don't think he's terrible. Yep. But I don't think he's awesome. Yep. But he's just sort of always been there. He's yep. like present. Yep. It's strange because, like, I'm a big supporter of Stir of Echoes, the original Kevin Bacon, David Kep, movie. It it got sort of squashed by The Sixth Sense because it opened a month or so before The Sixth Sense. And there just wasn't room for two ghost movies after that. Yeah, But... If you haven't seen Stir of Echoes, by all means check out Stir of Echoes. It's based on a novel by Richard Matheson. It's a classic form ghost story and it does the job very well, both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Is there a sequel in text form to Stir of Echoes? Yep. No. No, there is not. Yeah. There's a sequel. They made this movie that ended up being released on TV. I think they originally yep. meant it to be a feature, but they ended up releasing it on television. I'm going to guess it was originally Homecoming. Maybe they doctored the script slightly. I think they did try to make him one of the characters through suggestion, carry over from the original movie. Yeah. But basically, this is just a ghost movie, and if it was called Homecoming instead of Stir of Echoes... Yeah. It would work just fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm not angry, necessarily, that it's trying to sell itself on Stir of Echoes. Maybe a little bit confused, because as I remember, that movie kind of underperformed when it was released and like Matheson's not attached to it so I don't know it's just in name only here's a ghost movie and it's centered around Rob Lowe yep and I don't know like I have a degree of respect for the guy like I sound like I was being dismissive of him I don't think he sucks but he's never blown me away excuse me but he approaches this movie very seriously like he's earnestly giving a performance here yep and it's not goofy and he's not like he doesn't look like it's slumming it. Like, he, he's carrying the movie well. I think he
0: could have done a little more... Well, not that I'm an expert on PTSD, but um, I do think he could have done a little more research just on what that's like. It almost seems like he's just a notch above soap opera acting
1: in this movie. Yeah. Well... But... And that's where the sort of TV pedigree sort of feel of the movie comes from. Yeah. But he's doing this tour of duty in Iraq. Yep. Yeah he's in charge of this checkpoint a van crashes at the checkpoint ignores the signs and all the people in charge of disabling the car are just failing at doing it and they end up opening fire on this vehicle and killing this family and then immediately are hit by a, an rpg like and there's some belief that these two events are related yeah. he has uh, he's in a coma he's almost killed and when he wakes up he's got the sixth sense he's got this he the shine, the shine, and he keeps seeing this image of this badly burned and aggressive figure yep. uh, approaching him, and also this little girl, the one girl who'd managed to walk out of the initial attack on the van unscathed, who was then exploded, set on fire, and exploded again in a pretty almost hilariously over the top. This is your trauma. This is your trauma. Yeah, and he's coming back to his home and he's trauma and thematically it does connect to the original Stir of Echo's movie in that like Kevin Bacon is in a pretty rough place he's on his heels they're not well off he's you know there's tension in the marriage and there's thought that maybe he's going crazy and seeing the ghost thing is part of that and that's mirrored here because he's got PTSD and he's hallucinating and he's losing his temper with his family and I think that that was the approach that the movie should have sort of stayed with. Yeah. Because it kind of becomes, instead of being about PTSD, about how racism is bad. Racism is murder. Leigh. Racism is a bad thing, Lee. Yes. And I, I think, thank you, Sturvecker's 2 Homecoming, for pointing that out to us. Yeah. In a really ham-fisted way. Yeah. Like, maybe when I was growing up in small town Alberta, people would tell packy jokes around the dinner table yeah but i i genuinely didn't believe it when they were presenting it in this movie like like even people who are proudly racist don't talk like that right like um and i'm not asking for a more sympathetic portrayal of racist people i just want to be able to buy the scene that you're selling me and they have decent actors selling it Saskatchewan's own, Titania Maslani, yep. uh, is is here before she was discovered and widely, you know, made famous. Yep. And she does a pretty decent job of it, I think would be a tricky role. Yep. And I would say the same to a lot of the supporting characters that the their friend whose husband had been beheaded Yep, in, in the war, I think gives a better performance than this movie kind of deserves in a lot of ways. Okay, fair enough. But in the end of the day, the movie just doesn't seem necessary. Yep. It's very pedestrian. It's it's okay. And once it reveals... It's one of those things where once it reveals what it's actually about... Yeah. They're setting us up that this has got to be him paying back for the sin of shooting that family. Yeah. But they make this switcheroo about halfway through the movie where, no, there was a race crime. There was a hate crime that took place before he even got back. And that's the spirit that he's being confronted with. Yeah and if you've been paying a little bit of attention to the movie the second that element is introduced you know the rest of the movie to the degree that it's almost not even necessary yeah. to watch it at least that's how i
0: felt i could actually not care less about the actual murder mystery itself not unlike the first one i was you know i was intrigued and de- generally you know thrilled by where about halfway through where it's it, the cards are finally played about what this real murder mystery is all about, I just went, really? I was more engrossed by the sort of PTSD of Rob Lowe and what he happened at the beginning and thought that was the more intriguing mystery that...
1: His relationship with his wife and his encounters with these ghosts when he doesn't even realize ghosts... Yeah. The guy at the hospital who tells him to go look up this other guy and he'd be able to help him out. Yeah, because Big Daddy from Land of the Dead. Yeah. yeah. Veterans Affairs is gonna be no use to you. And yeah. then once he realizes he's heard him and he got the message, the guy just disappears. Yeah. Nobody else in the waiting room had seen that guy except for him. Yeah. Those are the scenes that I actually think kind of work. Yes. But when it's like who is this bad guy and who killed him? Like we know that. Like, we know that. Yeah. There's just no other obvious answer to that question. Yeah. And the movie doesn't seem to know that we know that. And so there's no reveal to the mystery. There's no, like, where is it going next? Yeah. Why is this happening? All of that vanishes. Yeah. And then so the energy goes from the movie. And I but just don't, don't care. If they stuck with Rob Lowe is going crazy because he's seeing ghosts, but nobody believes him because they think he's just damaged from the war, I think that would be enough. Yep. But they followed the map of the first movie so completely that we just know everything that's going to happen kind of before it does, and it sort of takes the edge away. Even the jump scares
0: are very, very telegraphed, and they go back to it and back to it and back to it. By like the halfway mark, you're like, okay... Um, this is where I think a more talented director, even like David Kuep, would use, you know, wouldn't use the foreground and background to sort of do that Hitchcockian scare, you know, see, you know, something moving ever so slightly and then bring the tension where this feels, not even by paint, by the numbers, it just feels mechanical.
1: They don't zoom in on the kids lighter once. They do it like four times. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, They don't give us other suspects. Like... Who did we see like demonstrably be racist and hateful at the beginning of the movie, other than Rob Lowe? Yeah, like uh, you're not ahead of this. Like the screenplay is not ahead of us. But I I don't want to be too hard on the movie because I say all of this, and I will also say it was significantly better than I expected it to be. Alrighty. like uh, I thought. We don't need a sequel to stir of echoes It stars Rob Lowe. Yep. Right? And like... Uh, like they're going to try and sell us this package... That he's this traumatized war veteran. Like yep. I kind of thought it was going to be... A laughable catastrophe. And it's not that. It's... Competent. But if you've seen any ghost... Or any mystery movie... You're likely going to see through a lot of the reveals. It's, it, it, it's there. But Larry... You wear the pain that you brought, Larry. You wear the pain that you brought. Or you wear the pain that you bring. I don't know. If you're burned in a fire, then you're going to haunt with fire? <laughs> <laughs> is love a burning flame?
0: Is it a burning thing <laughs> um, of
1: fire, Larry? I, I just don't know. The son of Kevin Bacon's character is all yep. grown up in this movie. Yep. And when he hit puberty, apparently it went to another level. And uh, not understanding what the ghosts wanted them, they got more and more aggressive. And he just didn't want to see them anymore. And he ended up blinding himself. Yeah. And as to where his parents are and why he's living in this terrible environment, it suggests that the continuing adventure of that family does not play out in any kind of good way. And I think that I didn't like just because... Again, I like *Stir of Echoes, and I like like it doesn't necessarily end on a hopeful moment. If you remember the original *Stir of echos uh, they're moving to a new house, and you he can hear and all the ghosts, as they're yeah. passing all these empty houses, the little <coughs> yeah. kid is covering his ears because yeah. he can hear all this chatter in his yeah. head. And I thought that's a really nice ending. Yeah. And um, yeah, did it need a sequel? No. Is this terrible? No. Is it memorable? No. Yep. Yeah. Yep,
0: I agree with everything you say. It's it's just there. Yeah. It's there. I'm not mad at it.
1: No. I, I mean, it's. I've already sort of forgotten it. So what are we, what are we talking and about? You are a person who watches a lot of horror movies. I hope I'm outing you here. What? You're pretty plugged into what's going on and what's coming in. And when I gave you the list, when you said you pick the next list, yep. and I said Stir of Echoes 2, you were like, there's a sequel to Stir of Echoes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says something right there. I feel ashamed that I, I missed <laughs> this episode talking about halloween 2018 yeah also released in 2018 another sort of high profile big budget sequel yep was jurassic world fallen kingdom yep now the first jurassic world was a fairly divisive although financially successful movie it was a good time at the movies i enjoyed it for what it was i think it's a fine you know three maybe three and a half star adventure movie it doesn't you know sniff the shoes of Jurassic Park yeah but it's passable but people seem to be agreed on Fallen Kingdom that this was a substantial step down yep I've talked about the director J.A. Bayona in the past mm-hmm. I am a huge champion of his disaster film The Impossible that got Unfairly dismissed. Yep. It's so fucking good. Yep. He also did this movie called A Monster Calls about children dealing with grief. That mm-hmm. has a big giant tree monster voiced by Liam uh, Neeson, mm-hmm. which is I think a really good movie, but maybe a little bit too hard for kids, okay. and maybe a little bit too fantastical for adults. Yeah, which is to say, it's a movie that hit me really strongly, but maybe nobody else. And, of course, he's involved with the new Lord of the Rings TV show, which everyone is writing off as this toxic, woke bullshit. And I get so tired of hearing that and so yeah. hearing the arguments about it. You already got the most epic fantasy trilogy in film fucking history for Lord of the Rings. Let them try something. Holy shit. Yeah, I know. And I just get tired of people picking on J.A. Bayona. So part of me came into this movie wanting it to be good not just as a jurassic park fan but as like he you know he's given the reins of this and i'm gonna say i think he directed the fucking shit out of this movie yeah i I think he did a really good job these are not easy movies to make yep i'm going to say that every almost every single problem that i'm going to point out and i am going to point out several has to do with the screenplay. Absolutely. It's not the creatures. It's not the dinosaurs. It's not the special effects. It's not the characters. No. It's not the performances, and it is definitely not the direction. There's some hard scenes to sit through in the screenplay, and there's just no way around it. And I don't think there's a director in the world that would have been able to necessarily... Maybe they could shoot them in a more fabulous way but like there's just certain dead points in the picture yeah. and I'm not going to pretend otherwise yeah. but I'm carrying on this weird analogy of this trilogy of dinosaur movies and comparing it to the original and in that way this snugly actually fits next to the Lost World for me mm. the, the Spielberg sequel to Jurassic Park mm-hmm. because I feel similarly about this movie as I do that to the Lost a very World fair comparison, yes. like i think there's amazing shit in the lost world yep but all in all i just don't think it's a great movie and yep. by the third act it's almost fallen apart completely yep but i've watched that movie a lot of times Yep. talking about fallen kingdom by the time we get to the third act this thing's almost fallen apart completely yep But I think of these three movies, this will be the one I'll be the most inclined to revisit, Mm -hmm. at least to watch the highlight reel. Because Beckman, I gotta say, that opening sequence in this movie is amazing. Yep. And the clearing of the island and the erupting of the volcano and, like, the collecting of the velociraptor off of the island, all of that worked pretty fucking well for me. Yep. And... By the time the movie started getting bad, it had already been good enough that I liked the movie. Okay. (laughs) So, I'm a defender of Fallen Kingdom. Maybe a big defender of Fallen Kingdom. Not surprised. Uh, like... I defend Jurassic Park 3, and like yeah, I, a lot of people hate that movie I too. don't hate it, I, I appreciate what it is. I have a 12-year-old boy locked inside this 47-year-old body yeah. that just enjoys watching people get eaten by dinosaurs. Yeah. In the same way people can dismiss this movie, and I understand it, because I dismiss all those Transformers movies. Mm-hmm. And these are definitely guilty of what the Transformers movies are as being multi-billion dollar money makers but not great films. Yeah. But I don't particularly get off on transforming robots. Yeah. I do get off on people getting eaten by dinosaurs. Yes. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to watch people get eaten by dinosaurs, you're going to get your money's worth out of fallen kingdom. Yeah. It's a three star, maybe a two and a half star movie. Okay. But the spectacle is there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I largely have a smile on my face. Even when it gets goofy, it's just like, I never thought I would see this in the Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. So, I know that I'm on a minority opinion here, but everybody needs to be nicer to Fallen Kingdom, and as a rule to J.A. Bayona. Yeah. because this guy knows what the fuck he's doing. No, you you can tell
0: that a talented filmmaker made this big budget movie. I have never especially out of just sort of a monster movie start off so well, and I will agree with you that probably has the best opening to a Jurassic Park movie since the original. Yeah. That whole sequence, you know, in you know in the water, you know the homage to jaws and the tyrannosaurus rex really well done and yes everything on Ilsa Nunbar the, the island it starts off so amazingly well and then slowly goes downhill to the point where I was telling the movie to fuck off <laughs> and it really is about a couple of choices made at the end and I will agree like almost everything at the big mansion house frustrates me so much and I like Geraldine Chaplin I like James Cromwell I like a lot of the actors in it but it's just it feels so like so much like a different movie and I think yes we're gonna have the whole science and capitalism don't mix theme that is ever present in the novels but it really needs to stay on the island I really do think if you're gonna make a Jurassic Park Jurassic World movie we've seen it once before where they leave the island and it just there's something
1: so deeply off or even even if you're not gonna focus on the island you focus on the dinosaurs anytime they go to is it Rafe's Ball I'm trying to yeah yeah uh, Rafe's spall and his conniving and behind the scenes or the little girl sneaking around the yeah. mansion or james cromwell and even toby jones playing this trumpian dude who's yeah. like helping auction off these things like anytime there's a dialogue scene between those you can actually feel the movie stop yeah but then we also get like the creature reaching its claws into yeah. this little girl's bed. Yeah, there's a
0: couple of sequences in the climax that it's it's so well done, and it almost seems like it's out of the orphanage. What's the... I
1: can't remember the name of the dinosaur with the huge bone crowned on his head that they uh, they bully into uh, breaking him out. Uh, Ramosaurus? I don't know. I don't know. No. But they bully this dinosaur into breaking them out of the jail. I thought that was kind of an amusing scene. Yeah. And, uh, like, they show all these rich snobs, like auctioning off these man-eating dinosaurs so when the dinosaurs are unleashed on them we don't care about any of the carnage that's happening we don't get to see it because it's still a pg movie but chris pratt suddenly fighting these action figure security guards with these like electro swords and it's like a star wars movie for a second like what is happening Happening. yeah (laughs) yeah
0: i i do want to take this time also to talk about another cool award winner ted I make pet choices living. Um, well,
1: it's just collecting dinosaur teeth, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do
0: love his death scene. It's just like, <laughs> he cries. He's a great
1: <laughs> Jurassic World villain. Like, yeah. they establish him right away. We don't like him right away. He's shitty to the characters that we like. He, you know, tranquilizes uh, the main character, Chris Pratt. And uh, is very belligerent, and he's pulling teeth out of dinosaurs. And uh, as far as a grisly death in a PG movie, like, he watches his arm get swallowed. And then the dinosaur kind of leans down face to face, and he has this big pouty, like... (laughs) It's fantastic I just like I love me some Ted Levine and yes it's definitely death by bad decision making (laughs) (laughs) and uh I appreciate Ted
0: Levine I do whenever I see him and he's made a long list of movies from like Heat
1: to like that awful Jean-Claude Nowhere to Run Honestly, if I could be in this movie, if someone was offering me a part in this movie, yeah. that's the part that I want in this movie. I that got. character looks... He, I love the fact that he great. just... Everything is almost so beneath him. He's like, alright,
0: I'll tranquilize Chris Pat. But,
1: Black... Like, I wouldn't take the job away from Ted Levine. Because no. he did it way better than oh, I yeah, ever no. would have. But, but he like, looks... He's a great character, and yeah. the payoff of his death is delicious for both us and the dinosaurs. <laughs>
0: his character, I just love the fact his character is like, he feels like he's so beneath all these shitty actions he's doing. It's just like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it just adds, it almost has this like Alan Rickman, you know, Hans Gruber kind of performance to it. Not that, I, I do think obviously Rickman's performance is maybe miles better, but it just has this. I've done this before and I'm so bored by it but I'm getting paid let's get the job done sort of vibe that I appreciate as a villain
1: yeah another complaint that's levied against the movie that I want to defend is that it says that it doesn't respect the awe and the sort of majesty of the dinosaurs anymore there's no impact to seeing them like the movie opens and the dinosaurs are there the reveal of the T-Rex is in a flash of lightning and we see a chase sequence before we've even got comfortable in our seats Mm mm-hmm I want to remind everyone that this is the fifth Jurassic Park movie. Yep. Like, we know what the T-Rex looks like. We know we don't need the grand entrance for every character. We don't need that. Like, I think getting into the story as quickly as possible, that's, again, another analogous thing to The Lost World. Mm-hmm. A lot of people complained, especially the kids, that Jurassic Park took long too long to get cooking. Sure. So with The Lost World, they're like... Jeff Goldblum is going to this island and there's dinosaurs, boom, right? Yep. And that's where this movie is, is like, they're on the island being chased by dinosaurs right now. Yeah. What did you come here to see, people? Yep. You came here to see dinosaurs. And I think if they would have wasted time showing the point of view of the T-Rex and then maybe slowly revealing it as a shadow kind of lifted off of it or it was revealed as it stepped into the clearing, it's like We've been here. Yeah. I've never seen it just all of a sudden be right behind a guy because it's raining so loud that he couldn't even hear the approach of a dinosaur. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. Yeah. Like, I thought that was... And it's not even particularly gutsy as far as I'm concerned. This is the fifth one. We have seen these dinosaurs. Yes. So I think people could have been nicer about that.
0: I also will agree on one of your theories that... And I know there's going to be more Jurassic Park or Jurassic World movies going For sure. forward... Stop putting kid characters in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, this, it's, it's even more punctuated. And we're going to skip to the ending and Spoilers. I mean, I know they had to have connected connected tissue between this and um, whatever the next dress. Dominion. Dominion. Um, the choice by the kid character who surprises a clone, which is a surprise to no one, no. is she's watching all these dinosaurs about to be poisoned. And even though I'm sure the other actors could have stopped her, she decides to set them free and essentially doom millions and millions of people to death. And not since Escape from LA has there been a choice by her character that. That's so irresponsible. So irresponsible and so maddening. Yeah. I can buy it in LA because there's a little bit of screw you, Snake Fliskin. But I do concede that, oh no, he did sort of condemn a whole lot of people to die. Where this, like, it, it's such an annoying choice that it made me go. No, yeah. no, and and this is where it, it really hurts with this movie, because I do agree that there's half of this movie that is, you know, entertaining as a popcorn film with really made sequences, and yes, even the chase sequence in the mansion, uh, was is, I think, one of the reasons why they got Boyega to, to do this movie, because it, it,
1: there seems a lot of... He did the orphanage. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah.
0: and it, it just seems, even aesthetically, that you know, there's a lot of stuff there, but... It made me growl so much that I walked, I think, out of the theater and went, No, I was so disappointed. It just, like I said, I'd never seen a movie, at least a monster movie, that started off so well... That by the end, I left grumpy. And I think that's when that really hurts. Well, it leaves you on that,
1: sour. There's the double punch, too. There's both her releasing the dinosaurs. But I think the problem isn't that she releases the dinosaurs, but that she's not judged harshly for it. Yeah. There's something that passes between Chris Pratt and uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, where you can tell that they're like, this is going to cause problems. But they're not like, what the hell did you just do, right? Yeah. And it feels like the movie's trying to give her a pass. And I think the image of the T-Rex and the lion roaring at each other was just too far. Like, that was pretty cheesy. And those two scenes back-to-back are what led people out of the theater. And I honestly think that's why the the, uh, attitude or the opinion about the movie was so low they weren't thinking about the first 10 minutes of the movie which was fucking amazing they were thinking about the last 10 minutes which was just trying to set up a third movie that they didn't even have an idea about yet
0: Uh, there's a quote and I think I've even said it on this podcast uh, and Ridley Scott said it, it can take just one scene to really damage your movie and I do kind of wonder if that's kind of the problem with uh, Fallen Kingdom where there's like I said, as a popcorn movie, it is very well constructed. There's just writing choices that make me go, No! And oh, that's the and same it's sort of
1: thing with even with the like, Gordon Green's Halloween. Always going to fall short of greatness. Yeah. It, because, well, they say to make a great movie, you need three great scenes and no bad ones. Yeah. And this movie has bad scenes. Yeah. It does. It does. But it also has good scenes. And yeah. I don't think they get enough credit when people talk about Fallen Kingdom. I think it's starting to change now because of Dominion's quality, Yeah. but I don't think this is a train wreck. I really don't. It's really popular to pick on big budget Hollywood fare like this, but like I said at the beginning, I don't think this is an easy movie to make, Yeah. and I think that there are some beats in it that are as strong as any Jurassic Park movies, but unfortunately, there's also beats that are as weak. Yeah. So you need to sort of concentrate that goodness and not not strafe to the left or right. And then you have Jurassic Park. But that movie is a one of a kind thing, man. And they've tried five times to repeat the recipe and they've never come close. And they never will. But I've had a lot of fun watching them try. I admit. There you go. There you go. Is that good enough? Good enough. I don't know if you've ever been on the podcast before, but Lee, this is at the point where we will rank the movies from our least favorite to (laughs) the most.
0: You know that I'm a long time Lurster, first
1: time (laughs) guest. That's That's right. Uh, Mr. Beckman. What? What was your least favorite of these six sequels and why? Well, I think to no one's
0: surprise. And Scott, I'm really sorry. (laughs) I I, I am really sorry, but I'm going to put Zombie 3 because there's what is the narrative i know there's a plot but like what is the narrative i don't i remember none of the actors that has a couple of like well constructed z- zombie gore scenes but couldn't I, name a character I, it's yeah i'm already getting amnesia yeah. zombie three amnesia um at number 5 i have stir of echoes to racism is murder i mean sorry the homecoming yes which racism re- is bad it, okay? yep yeah, which which really feels like they made some sort of ghost movie and then decided to like tack on an extra scene to have connective tissue to, like, Stir of Echoes 2. But you wear the pain that you bring, Larry. You wear the pain that you bring. I hope that's the line. I'm probably paraphrasing. So at number five, Stir of Echoes 2. This is where I waffle. And this is, I think, where we're, like, we're not going to, like, line up. At number four, I have Pet cemetery 2. It, it is not a good movie. And then there's some really, like, dumbfounding choices. Like, the homage with, like, the little... I don't know. I just it has got to have a montage. montage. But it does have Clancy
1: Brown, who definitely... His he is great. worth the price of admission as far as I'm concerned. I will concede that. I might be a bigger fan of Clancy Brown than most, but I think he makes this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Then we have Jeepers Creepers, Mad Max.
0: I love Mad Max. Because <laughs> really, that's, if you start to think about it, that's what it is. It's a lot of car chase sequences with things that blow up and giant spears and...
1: Maybe he just wanted to make it, you're right, like a car movie in the same way that Romero wanted to make a Western and yeah. he had to disguise it as survival of the dead. Yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy also the villain, uh,
0: the creeper itself, but I can understand why people won't touch this series with a 10-foot pole. Mm. Um, I agree. It's passable and it missed me that it asks more questions than gives answers as well, which is sort of frustrating. So. I
1: really believe you should not set up a sequel unless you know a fact that yeah. that sequel is going to happen. Yeah. And yeah I have yeah. to take some points away for that.
0: Yeah. At number two um, I have uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom a... That ranks higher w- than I thought it would for you. Well constructed um, dinosaur film that has some deep deep script problems that make me it vexed me. Mm-hmm. It vexed me. And at number one I think it's really no surprise. Uh, once again... It, Honestly, the top two have similar problems where there's lots of good choices made by very uh, talented directors, but there's some really some plot points that make me go, no, no, no. Bad movie. No. Yeah. No, no. No. So I have David Gordon Green's, the better than expected Halloween sequel, Halloween.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, they certainly did enough right, I think, to deserve first place. So we're not going to disagree, at least on that. Wow. (laughs) Um, look, we mostly agree. Wow. I think that, like, uh, we're not going to fight huge over this. Yeah. And I think it is my, just the, my personal improved experience of Pet Cemetery 2. See, this is why I kind of wondered where we were, yeah. like... I think that really might have poisoned the pool a little bit for the rank. But I think it's close enough for government work right now. Because yeah. we agree that Zombie 3 is at the bottom of the list. Big love, Scott. Love you, brother. And yeah. I did have superficial fun watching it, but I don't think it would make my guilty pleasure list. And I do think it's somewhat outclassed in this collection. Um, the pregnancy scene is, is yeah. still there. There's a lot working against it that's not there in the other movies. They're not badly dubbed. Yeah, They have consistent narrative and scenes that make sense, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, but if you're into this type of movie i get how it could be a lot of fun and i don't necessarily think just because it landed last that you should necessarily think i never need to bother with it uh, if it's your jam it's your jam in a way it's insulting that it's ranked lower than stir of Echo's two home but i I was kind of weirdly surprised, again, the bar was set pretty low for a made-for-TV sequel to Stir of Echoes starring Rob Lowe. Yeah. And I sound like I'm being mean to Rob Lowe. I honestly don't dislike Rob Lowe. Yeah. I've always just kind of been mystified how he's just always consistently working. And I've never managed in all these years to develop an opinion on him. Um, so tell me how you really feel. It's completely fine paint by numbers ghost movie and if you've never seen a ghost movie before maybe this will be a nail biter but if you've seen any ghost movie before you've kind of seen this movie Yes. so 5th place in 4th place I begrudgingly give Jeepers Creepers the, uh, 3 yeah I know where we're going even though like it's Closer to being a thumbs up movie than Pet Cemetery Two. I enjoyed the badness in Pet Cemetery Two, and it was bad in a more interesting way than Jeepers Creepers was good. Really? I enjoyed strangely watching the badness of Pet Cemetery Two than I watching than watching the okayness bordering on blandness at times of Jeepers Creepers three. Fair so, enough. Uh, even though one is a thumbs up ish and one of them's a definitely a thumbs down ish movie, on pure enjoyment factor, I put Jeepers Creeper's three or yeah, Jeepers three in fourth. That makes sense. Yeah. And Dead Cemetery Two in third.
0: I've got hurt feeling. <laughs> I've got heard.
1: No, not really. It wouldn't be a podcast if you weren't singing, brother. Yeah. In second place, still agreeing. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Please, everybody, get off J.A. Bayona's ass. He is not some woke fucking Methodist person trying to, you know, make you think differently about the world. He's actually an incredibly gifted filmmaker who is seemingly consistently fucked over by bad press, you know? Uh, I, think, I think we've got the
0: title of this episode. Please get off... J- leave... <laughs> leave yeah. leave
1: B- J.A.B.O.Y.A. alone. Like, Bayona is going to make Bayona. a masterpiece one of these times. Like, it's really... I kind of believe someday it's going to connect and everyone's going to be like, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He was always good. We always knew it. You know? Yeah. Um Is Fallen Kingdom the worst movie that he's made so far? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a terrible movie. And the problems with it, I concede, I don't think are necessarily not the fun. and when the movie's slapping which is largely the first two thirds of it it slaps pretty hard <laughs> a few times like there's a great reveal when they're locked inside the facility on the island and they see a beep on the monitor that there's a dinosaur nearby is it one of the friendly ones and then we just get a splash of lava that reveals teeth <laughs> coming yep. up towards them yep. and you're like yay Jurassic Park Yep. so yeah um it's got problems, but I have fun with it in the same way I have fun with Jurassic Park 2, and it's very fucking flawed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and Halloween 2018 is a bone solid slasher movie mm. and incredibly respectful of the lore mm. of Halloween. And it, you know, it, it does the job. And uh, if you're a little bit more bloodthirsty, or if you wish it was moving faster, I would just say hang in there Halloween Kills is coming <laughs> right. yep. um, I, I have said in the past before that Halloween 2018 respects the lore Halloween Kills respects the gore hey, and uh, I will stand by that statement it's very much I think the best of the three of the new uh, Halloween cycle Alrighty. Um, as far as just being a competent film front to back Yeah, um, and I don't know, it's, it's, it's very solid. And uh, I would be surprised if anybody, any Halloween fans had strong issues with 2018. Yeah. I'm obviously on board with people having tro- problems with ends, but 2018 I think was a very solid foundation. So much so that they, if they hadn't made the other two, it would stand very comfortably on its own. Yep. So, number one. Yep. Yep. I, I, I think I, I guessed her ranks <laughs> yeah but it was close enough yeah yeah, yeah. there's enough. no hurt feelings really <laughs> <No> hurt. <laughs> except for the large tears streaming down your face hold me but hold this me. will not be the end of the story because you know Beckman and I have to review every Halloween movie yep. so we're gonna do not just Halloween the next one of these episodes the whole theme yep. will be Halloween yeah not the movies yep. the holiday yeah so will be the second chapter of our trilogy, which is actually a for-really-real trilogy. <laughs> wow. Ouch! Ouch! Until then, kiddies, is there anything you'd like to say to the people of the internet?
0: Everything. Everything and everything. Yeah. Okay.
1: So there it was. That's quite a weird bunch of sequels. I mean, I don't know what the popularity in this day and age is of Zombie 3, and I don't know how many people even knew that Stir of Echoes 2 existed. (laughs) So thank you for listening, thank you for uh, sending your feedback, if you have any, to rankandreview at gmail.com, that's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Lee and I will be getting together again to talk about a bunch of Halloween-themed movies later in this season of the show, so at that episode we'll be talking about Halloween Kills. I suspect it'll be coming out somewhere around Halloween. Thank you so much as always for listening. Please, if you need something to fill your ears with, do check out the Shelf-Shedding Movie Show, hosted by Mr. Jason DeBray. And... Tell that other movie fan in your life about the podcast Ranking Review. Big love from your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. We'll see you every other Wednesday.